Hello and welcome back into yet another episode of Line em Up where we are all about sports lineups, fantasy lineups, betting lines, and everything in between. I am John, once again delighted to be joined by Brendan. Hey, let's talk some baseball, boys. And Eric. Hey, welcome back everyone. Thanks for joining us. So, it's been a interesting time in baseball since we last convened to record a lineup up episode. The heat is on for the pitchers using foreign substances. Uh, we continue to see some surprise teams moving up and down the standings. But what we are going to lead off our show with today, our leadoff hitter, our number one topic, is the number one prospect in all of baseball. He's in the MLB, and that is the Rays Wander Franco, who they just called up, made his major league debut, debut on Tuesday against the Red Sox and I don't know about you guys I am so excited for this and it sounds probably a little weird because I root for a team that is in all for all intents and purposes a rival of the Rays but I love seeing these super mega prospects graduate from the ranks of a prospect a what if a someone all based on potential and seeing them make a leap to the major leagues. And I think there's, it's right to say that there is no more exciting player on the prospect list than the number one overall guy in Wander Franco. And he showed up and showed out in his debut, a double, a home run, three RBIs. The kid came to play. And so gentlemen, I I, want to hear your thoughts on what you think it means for the Rays that they have their now next maybe potential superstar in their lineup. I mean, I think it's huge. It's it's a big deal for for this young guy to get up into the major leagues at such a young age. I mean, it's pretty typical of the major leagues these days to learn on the job and kind of pick up some skills along the way while you're developing and also getting major league at bats. Um, but I think it's huge for the Rays and it's it's big to uh, kind of landscape the AL East going forward. I mean. Give us a few years, we might see the Orioles making some climbs up the rankings. Shout out John there. Uh, I'm sure the Yankees and the Red Sox will hang around. We got the young core of the Blue Jays. That's exciting, and, and it looks like the Rays are, aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, I'm excited to see him. He seems like an exciting young player. I mean, certainly as a young guy, he's going to have his ups and his downs as pitchers adjust to him, and he tries to figure out how to adjust to Major League Pitching as they, uh, you know, switch it up on him. But I'm sure he'll have some success, as we already saw in his first game yesterday. And, um, yeah, I, I'm sure, as I mentioned, players, pitchers will start making adjustments. But we'll see uh, how good his talent and how good his uh, learning curve is. And, Eric, for you, do you view this in the context of this season? Because I think Wander Franco has a gigantic uh, horizon ahead of him in terms of what he can ultimately become. But, Eric, for you, for this season – is this a big deal? Is this a medium deal? Is this a little deal in terms of how this will actually affect the Rays being able to compete in the AL East? I mean, I think it's a big deal, particularly particularly if he can adjust well enough, which is what Brendan was referencing as well, as, as pitchers start to uh, see what he's made of and start to change up uh, how they pitch to him and see if he can adjust appropriately. I, I think it'll be a a uh, good year of experience for him, and I think with the Rays in contention with the division, uh, I think it's definitely needed uh, for the Rays to have a, I mean, a, a quality hitting prospect in their lineup. Um, he's he's young, being only 20 years old. He's a switch hitter, so he can uh, match up against a 
any, I guess, most pitchers that uh, put up against him. Um, and I will say he's playing a tough position at shortstop as well, though. Um, so we'll see how well he grades defensively as well as the uh, months go by uh, while the race stay in contention. And I think there's two things worth pointing out to sort of give context as to the question, why now? Why did the Rays choose to bring this guy up now? The first being that they are in the midst of a seven-game losing streak, including losing uh, Wander Franco's debut to the Red Sox. And that has seen their what was once a lead in the AL East slip to a deficit. They are currently sitting one and a half games behind the Red Sox. And so we know the Rays are always really good at piecing together uh, innings from their pitching staff. They do it maybe more unorthodoxly than any other team in the major leagues, but it is effective. What they don't always have is punch in their lineup. And so I think we could view this as them trying to give their lineup a jumpstart to make sure that their uh, ability to contend doesn't sort of fade as the season drags along. And the other thing is, is they they made a trade in sending their former starting shortstop, Willie Adamas, who at one point in time was a pretty highly regarded prospect in his own right, came to the Rays when they traded away David Price. Uh, They traded him to the Brewers, and since then they've been playing mostly Taylor Walls at shortstop, and he he is only hitting uh, 154 so far uh, since, or, or during the losing streak, I should say. And so... Now is the time, and and I, I'm so excited about this. I want to make a bold prediction about what Wander Franco can become and what we might see of him this season. And, and to me, this is someone with so much talent that if everything goes correctly, and we'll and it's sort of yet to be seen how much of this we'll see this season, but I'm I'm bullish. If everything goes correctly, this guy should end up becoming the best player in Tampa Bay Rays history. That's right. Not the best player on this team, the best player in franchise history. It's not a long franchise history, and I think right now, if you were to sort of litigate which player deserves to sit atop that mountain, you're either talking about Evan Longoria for his his longevity and what he brought to the Rays at his peak, or David Price in terms of when he was at his best, that was the best player we ever saw uh, don a Tampa Bay Rays uniform. I think Wander Franco, as long as he stays in Tampa Bay for a reasonable amount of time, can surpass both of them. Yeah, I think it's important to note, uh, you kind of mentioned my main doubt uh, at the end there, John. I, I don't know, given the Rays' history, it, while it is short, and I think he definitely has the potential to make it up to that you know, coveted best Ray of all time. Um, it is pretty important to note that the Rays have a tough time holding on to these big names. And even Evan Longoria himself and David Price, they both didn't last their whole careers in Tampa Bay. And I think it will take a, a long time in Tampa Bay for Wander Franco to be undeniably better than both Evan Longoria and David Price. And especially given, as I mentioned, the AL East in the upcoming years, will most likely be a pretty crowded race with everybody kind of opening their window at the same time. It wouldn't shock me to see, you know, if the Rays are kind of having a lackluster couple seasons back-to-back, maybe they ship him out for some some draft picks and try to reboot when the other teams are kind of falling off and, and their cores are coming out and they can try and sneak into the top of the division when everybody else is, is having down years. But I certainly agree with you, John. He's a um, very exciting young prospect. He's got a ton of pop, a ton of – 
ton of uh, uh, just a, a massive skill set, I would say, and he's going to be a nightmare for some of these pitchers for uh, years to come. I, I, I think. Let, I, oh, ahead, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I want to hear from you, Eric. I want to no, hear what I, you have to say about this. No, I just I. I think on that debate, I'll just leave it to you guys. I think it's terribly interesting how it plays out. I just wanted to say that I think it's still a good time for baseball, not just the Rays as a whole, with uh, the weather heating up and as more teams uh, and organizations ramp up to full capacity, it's definitely nice to see a top prospect uh, hitting well, playing well, uh, and drawing crowds out to get more excitement into the league. And and again, just another to another bit of information to frame exactly how much raw potential uh, is there with Wander Franco. They grade prospects on what is known as the 2080 scale, 80 being the best, 20 being the worst. And in terms of his ability to hit for average, hit for contact, uh, Wander Franco grades out as an 80 out of 80. So a perfect grade there for a prospect. And for power, he's 60 out of 80, which is still well above average. And the only person I could really think of in recent memory who had similar grades coming out of the minor leagues. And that was Vlad Guerrero Jr., who had an 80 uh, hit grade as well and was slightly above Wander Franco with a 65 power grade. Obviously, there are some... Wander Franco's a little bit more athletic than uh, Baby Vladdy is, but seeing what Vlad Guerrero Jr. is doing now, where he is tearing the cover off of baseballs just like we all thought he could... It gives me so much hope for that that Wander Franco could similarly live up to the to the hype. This is a guy who is quoted as saying that he believes that God gave him the natural ability to hit, and so certainly not lacking for confidence. And I am so excited to see how it pans out for the rest of the season and for the rest of his career in Tampa. Now, moving from one East division to the other, the NL East boys is getting pretty spicy. For most of the season, the Mets have been kind of cruising along, and we expected the Braves to at some point make a run towards that crown, towards knocking the Mets off the NLE's throne. But hold up, all of a sudden, the Nationals, and to somewhat of a lesser extent, the Phillies, are right back in the mix. And Eric, I really want to hear what you have to say of this, because you, of all of us, were the most bullish on the nationals heading into this season they didn't reward you very much early on but here they are sitting uh at the time of recording in second place nine and one in their last 10 do you feel like the nationals can keep this up and maybe overtake the mets i don't know if they'll overtake the mets i i I was the most bullish on them i did expect them to do particularly well heading uh into the postseason making the postseason hang into the postseason um but seeing how their roster has played out, they uh, particularly how they're batting, I think they're really hot right now in how they're batting, particularly those like uh, Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner, Juan Soto. Um, but I am wary about how consistent they'll be down the stretch, particularly seeing Kyle Schwarber play with the Cubs. I, I don't, I know he's been hitting the ball particularly well now. I don't know how he'll still be down the down the months as well. Um, so I don't know what the hell they'll have the help that they'll need um, as they head into later months. And they still have some injuries um, that they'll need to overcome, and particularly for the pitchers to, to play better. So I, I'm still wary of how the Nationals will do. Um, and I believe right now they're still under 500, right? So I, I, do I think they'll be better than the Mets? I, I don't think, based on how they're playing right now, that they will be. 
Brennan, that will see. That's what gives me maybe a little bit more hope than otherwise I would have about the nationals. And I'm, if you want to call me a nationals hater, I don't think that would be completely out of line uh, being a Orioles fan. But what gives me a little bit of hope for the nationals is they are doing this without a healthy pitching staff or without an effective pitching staff. And usually that is their strength. I mean, Today, they won a game against the Phillies, the very team that they're trying to fend off uh, in their chase of trying to catch the Mets. They won the game 13-12. to And so, when you can win like that, and when you sort of expect that their pitching rotation will get a little bit back towards what we've come to know and expect of them, and if, if Steven Strasburg can get healthy, a guy who struggled with injuries all season, then I don't see why the Nats can't keep this up. And... You know, it's great to see Kyle Schwarber in a new location sort of rediscover his best form. He has 10 home runs in the month of June, which is just outstanding. I think there's only that's the only real way to describe it. So, Brendan, do you think the Nats could keep this up? Are you more excited about maybe the Phillies in terms of uh, providing the Mets some competition in this division? Look, I was pretty high on the Met, on the Nats coming into the season. I actually had them making that second wild card spot, I believe. I definitely had them making the playoffs, and I actually had Juan Soto as my MVP winner in our prediction episode. I, I really believe in this Nats team. I, I they're playing baseball the way and winning games right now the way I envisioned. Not to always circle back to this, but the way I envisioned the Cardinals to be winning games when their rotation kind of took a hit and they had some injuries. I mean, they're just outscoring people. Flat out. They're, I mean, as you mentioned, John, they're really hot in the month of June. I think you said 14 and 7. They're 9 and 1 in their last 10. And I don't even think that includes today's win. I could be wrong. but No, it does. I, I, I updated oh, okay. the numbers. John's, I got your back. John's guys, on top worry. of it, everybody. But, yeah, Kyle Schwarber's hitting the crap out of the ball. I don't really love Kyle Schwarber, but I, I think he's pretty goofy, and it's hard to not respect him in the game of baseball. Juan Soto's doing his thing. He's starting to pick it up a little bit. And they're getting good enough, I mean, not great pitching, but good enough pitching, and especially their um, bullpen has been, you know, just kind of good enough to win games. And it's been quite the opposite for my St. Louis Cardinals, who uh, I think they're last in the MLB in runs per game in the month of June, which is obviously not the way to win games, especially when our rotation is in the mud right now. So... The Nats are exciting. Hey, the Phillies have been playing well, too. I don't want to count them out. I, I, th- I genuinely believe that this is a four-team race, and it will be for the majority of the season. I think eventually the Phillies fall off. And honestly, I have the Nats finishing above the Braves, and and they're the ones that I think will push the Mets. And, and, so that, and that's really exciting stuff when you talk about a four-team race because if you look up and down the National League, and I think the, the National League East is just the latest example of this to really come into focus – National League East is a four-team race right now, undoubtedly. The NL Central is a four-team race right now, undoubtedly. And then the NL West, who was a division I think we all expected to be just between the Dodgers and the Padres, that's a three-team race right now. And so all of a sudden, the National League is so deep with good teams and the resurgence of the Nationals certainly, the Phillies to a little bit of a lesser extent, makes it all that much more exciting. A couple things I want to point out with the Phillies, because they were the ones in second place for a little bit of time before the Nationals beat them in the last two games. They have 
contributions or they're getting big contributions from two guys that I don't know that coming into this season we would have expected to play quite such a big role. Andrew McCutcheon, the longtime beloved hero of Pittsburgh Pirates lore, is having a renaissance season and in the month of June is hitting 315 with an OPS above 1,000. He had a grand slam today off the bench in ultimately a losing effort to the Nationals. But that guy is like in prime Andrew McCutcheon form, which is something that I never thought we'd see again, especially after he tore his ACL a, a year or so ago. And then Zach Wheeler, who the Mets, or who the Phillies brought over from the Mets, a guy who always had great stuff but never really put it all together. Well, he's putting it all together right now to the tune of a 185 ERA, 30 strikeouts in 24 and a third innings in his last four starts. And he's the one leading that rotation. Aaron Nola for forever has been the, you know, ace of the Phillies. No, this year it's Zach Wheeler. And so I think when you get performances like that out of unexpected sources, that always gives you the ability to outperform your initial projections. And so I would keep an eye on the Phillies right now. Uh, I know they're, you know, just lost these last two games to the Nationals. Uh, and, you know, you may look at that team and be like, eh, they're not that exciting. I think they can, they have it in them to continue to push all those teams in the uh, NL East right down to the wire. Certainly agree with you, John. Actually, I just want to, you know, call out, I, I'm actually a huge Zach Wheeler fan. I mean, I think a lot of people have been sleeping on this guy for a few years. He hasn't had the best win-loss or ERA, but his stuff is electric, and I'm, he's had it for years and years, and he's just been waiting to kind of put it all together. So it's it's kind of great to see he's finally having everything click for him, and, you know, we'll uh, we'll see if he can keep that going given this whole, you know, cough, cough, sticky situation amongst the MLB. But, uh, yeah, I, I do like Zach Wheeler's stuff, and I think he, uh, he's, been, he's definitely been carrying that rotation, as you mentioned. And just to give a context on how long Zach Wheeler has been looking to, quote-unquote, put it all together. Zach Wheeler was the player that was traded to the Mets from the San Francisco Giants organization for Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran was a you know little bit of a rental for the Giants when they were trying to chase even more glory in the mid-2000s. So 2011, Zach Wheeler gets traded for Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran has been retired for four years. And just now, 10 years later, after Zach Wheeler was propelled into his first little bit of relevance in the minds of baseball fans, he is now finally putting it all together as Brendan alluded to and speaking of teams and players putting it all together let's look at this week's power rankings where we like to you know go over these every time we sit down and record with you and there's been some you know pretty significant movement uh I'm sure Eric you're happy to see the Dodgers back at the number one spot in this week's power rankings after being number two last week the Astros who are on fire lately jumping all the way up to number two, followed by those very same giants uh, that we talked about, about a little bit in this episode, and then I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about Stick Around Hill Series of the Weekend. The A's, sort of rubber banding back and forth, are back up in the top five at number four. And then the White Sox, who have, I feel like, been in the top five for 
pretty much the last month or two sitting there at number five, taking a little bit of a dip, but staying in the top five this week. So gentlemen, as I always ask you every week, which teams one through 30, not just in the top five, have caught your eyes for MLB.com's latest power rankings? Eric, let's hear from you. I mean, I think I'm picking a team that Brendan's already alluded to. I'm surprised that the Cardinals have fallen to the 18th spot, right? Uh, particularly considering how high of expectations we had of them this year. And I wanted to bring them up because on the last recording that we had of this, I predicted uh, what the standings would look like in the NL Central uh, to be Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals in that order, the same as when it was when we talked about it uh, at that time. But now the, a team has snuck in there that we weren't even talking about last time, and the Reds have jumped the Cardinals. So the Cardinals themselves have fallen to fourth in that division. And it's absolutely wild that they've fallen on these power rankings to the bottom half of the league, considering how uh, positive their batting order is. Um, I'll beat the injuries that particularly that they had the Flaherty not holding down the, the pitching rotation. So it's absolutely fascinating how far they fall in. I, I do want to mention, I, since we rolled off the NL East, I don't think we talk about the Braves that much. I still do think that the Braves... Uh, are probably the second best in my opinion in that division, but I think that their story is going to be similar to the Cardinals, quite honestly. Um, and I think one of our earlier episodes we tied uh, the link between Max Fried and Jack Flaherty back then. Now they're both injured, um, and I'm curious to know if they'll come back and both pitch particularly well when they come back from injury. Uh, but these are both teams that have struggling pitching rotations, but have particularly positive aspects on their batting lineups that I think could carry them into the divisions heading down the months. The two best friends, best friends <laughs> in life and in injury. Brendan, I'm sure it hurts your heart a little bit to hear Eric uh, sort of rub salt in the wounds of the Cardinals, but is that really a surprise that they are where they are? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, John, it's it's not a surprise whatsoever. And while it does hurt, it is most certainly deserved and it's finally time for me to take a step back from defending my beloved Cardinals and just say that they definitely deserve to be in the bottom half of this week's power rankings. As I mentioned, I think they're averaging less than three runs a game in the month of June, which is not going to be a winning formula, especially when you've got Carlos Martinez, John Gantz, an injured on-again, off-again, Kwang Young Kim in the rotation. You're missing your, – your number one starter right now with Flaherty out is – almost 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. I mean, you're not going to win games by scoring less than three runs a game. And while we've had our core hitters, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill of recent, Dylan Carlson, and Tommy Edmond, the top five in our lineup just about every game, they've had pretty good seasons overall, and they haven't really taken a dip. In fact, Paul Goldschmidt started to heat up recently, but I, I mentioned this in most episodes and it's huge for lineups in this day and age to just be able to roll over and roll over and continue to go through and chug through the lineup and put up big crooked numbers and in innings and that's just something the cardinals can't do right now i mean the six through nine hitters in their lineup have been abysmal they've just been terrible i mean we've tried out everybody paul de young is at like 160 at shortstop Edmundo sosa was okay when he came up to play shortstop and replace of him on the injured list and He's been hit so many times. I don't. I honestly don't know if he's healthy at all, but he's still playing games. We obviously have Matt Carpenter taking at bats, but 
Enough about the Cardinals. I'm going to call out a different team and make myself feel a little bit better in the power rankings. I'm looking at the Diamondbacks at number 30, gentlemen. This is a team that I had preseason finishing third in the NL West, I believe, at least fourth. However, they've so far in this season, yeah, it's it's definitely a laughing matter. Their longest win streak, anybody want to take a guess? Longest? Three games. Longest win streak for the Diamondbacks this season is three games way back in the first month of the season. Hey, John. And that was one time. They only have, I think, five other two-game win streaks in the season. They've rattled off a 17-game losing streak that just came to an end two days ago, a 13-loss streak previously before that, and they're 7-42 and since May 1st. And on May 1st, before that game, gentlemen, this feels like a year ago, they were 14-12. and I honestly don't believe that the Diamondbacks are ever going to move from that 30 spot this season, and that's why I'm calling them out. And, John, honestly – it's tough competition. I don't think the Orioles are going to win the number one pick this year because the Diamondbacks. That so, that's the thing, right? It's it's like the Diamondbacks are such a love hate relationship for me right now because I love the fact that there is a team that keeps you know people from piling on the Orioles. That there is a team playing worse than the Orioles, but at the same time, you're like well, I would really like the number one pick instead of the number two pick. So is that really a good thing? So it's such a love-hate relationship for me with the Diamondbacks, but it is exceptionally surprising. Not that they are, like, bad, because I don't think we expected the Diamondbacks to be good, but the fact that they're, like, horrendously bad, that is definitely surprising. For me, I'm going to jump back to the NL Central, and I'm not going to talk about the Cardinals. Thank you. And I'm not going to talk about the Cubs. Thank you. But I'm going to talk about the team of my people. I am John Beers. The team of my people, if not the team, even though they're not the team of my heart, is the Brewers. And to have the Brewers at number 13, when they have the exact same record at the Cubs, who are at number 10, and a better record than the Mets, or at least a better winning percentage, because the Mets are a little bit behind on the terms of game played, than the Mets, who are at 9, I think the Brewers need to be bumped up a little bit. I think they're a top 10 team. I know both of you have expressed your doubts about the Brewers because they don't hit particularly well, but dang it, they have three really good pitchers in their rotation. They have former Orioles prospect Josh Hader being lights out, as always, at the end of their bullpen, and I just think the Brewers deserve a little bit more love than being 13th. And with that, we will move out of the leadoff segment of our show into the middle of the order, into the real heavy hitters, our competitive segments. But this week, we're going a little bit different in terms of our first competitive segment. It's not so much a competition as it is just highlighting players that we thought think have done well and making our all-star predictions. And so what we're doing this week is each of us got two divisions. I got both of the East Divisions, as I root for a team in one of the East Divisions. Brendan got both of the Central Divisions for the same reason. And Eric got the West Divisions for the same reason. And we're going to go team by team. And with the All-Star Game coming fast upon us, we are going to say for each team who we think is the most deserving player to be a part of that All-Star Game. Sort of a unique aspect of baseball is that every team, whether they are as good as the Dodgers or as terrible as the Diamondbacks will get an all-star representative. And so we each picked out one player that we thought was 
the most deserving from each of those teams. And I'll start us off here with the NL East before getting to my beloved AL East. And gentlemen, I don't know about you with when you were coming up with your picks. I found the NL East to be incredibly straightforward. There were some teams in the AL East that I'll get to in a bit that I was sort of back and forth on who I thought was the most deserving all-star player. But I thought the NL East was easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl in terms of how easy it was to select their their all-stars. Um, for the Mets, it's obviously Jacob deGrom. No, no doubt in my mind that that is the most... I know, right, crazy. The guy who I am championing his MVP cause is the far and away easiest pick for the Mets at their all-star. For the Phillies, it was a guy I mentioned earlier in Zach Wheeler. And the Phillies have a lot of big names on their team. I'm not sure that Zach Wheeler quite qualifies as a big name, but he's playing like a big name. And he is easily, in my mind, the most deserving all-star for that Philly squad. For the Braves, it's another guy who's right in the thick of the NL MVP race in Ronald Acuna Jr. He is their best player. He is playing like their best player and therefore is easily the most deserving all-star for that Braves team. For the Nationals, another player that we talked a little bit about earlier, it is Trey Turner, the speed demon, the hits machine. He is pacing this Nationals offense that is in the middle of an explosion right now, but he's been doing it all season up there near the top of the NL leaderboards when it comes to hits, when it comes to stolen bases, when it comes to batting average. And so Trey Turner doing his thing for the Nationals. And then perhaps the most interesting one comes from the team at the bottom of the NL East, and that is the Miami Marlins. Now, as we have talked about on this show before, the Miami Marlins are often a team devoid of star power because what do they do when they get star power they trade away their star power and yet they have a player in trevor rogers who is leading their rotation and leading this team and a i don't care what team he was on i think he would deserve to be an all-star that's how good he is playing and he's a rookie trevor rogers 23 years old era under two 95 strikeouts and 82 and a third innings pitched an ERA plus above 200, where 100 is average, so well above league average. This dude is balling out in Miami. Probably nobody knows about him because he plays for the Marlins, but he is far and away the most deserving all-star on this Marlins team. And so again, another clear-cut all-star. So that was the NL East. The AL East, completely different story. There is one team in the AL East that by my judgment has a clear-cut, most-deserving all-star, and that is the Blue Jays, and that is perhaps my favorite player that does not play for the Orioles, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who is just, again, tearing the cover off the ball, realizing all of his full potential, um, maybe even at this point the leader in, the, in, in terms of AL MVP race. And so he is the clear-cut, most-deserving player on the Blue Jays for an all-star appearance. But then you get to the rest of the teams and it's a little bit harder to decipher. The Red Sox have two, the Red Sox in their, in their, with their incredibly potent offense have two guys that I think you could argue are the most deserving in Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers has been up at the lead, you know, up 
near the top of the league in terms of RBIs, in terms of home runs uh, for most of the season. But Xander Bogarts has a little bit of better advanced numbers in terms of offense, a little bit better higher batting average, maybe the more well-rounded player. But I went with Devers simply for the fact that I believe in terms of fielding runs above average. So so the number of runs that he saves or that he contributes through his defense is at seven, whereas Xander Bogarts is at negative one at shortstop. So that gave me the edge there for the Boston Red Sox. Then moving over to the Yankees, I think, again, there are two guys who you could very clearly make the case for. One in Aaron Judge, who is leading the Yankees' offense, and one in Garrett Cole, who has been the most consistent force in the Yankees' rotation. And maybe we see a second-half drop-off in Garrett Cole because of foreign substance gate, but I think so far he has done enough for the Yankees to edge out Aaron Judge as their most deserving all-star. Then the Rays were perhaps the toughest of all because their most deserving all-star is probably not going to play in the all-star game and may not play again for the rest of this season. And that's Tyler Glass now, who again is sort of at the heart of the foreign substance conversation where he came out and said that the MLB crackdown on foreign substances caused him to adjust, you know, overcorrect his pitching mechanics and cause him to hurt himself to where he may not play for the rest of the season. So in his absence, you're looking at guys like Randy Rosarena, Brandon Lau, but I went with Joey Wendell as the most deserving of all the Rays players who could actually still make an appearance in the All-Star game. And then last but certainly not least, unless you're talking about the standing, <laughs> my beloved Baltimore Orioles. And I think for a long time, uh, it, there was a clear-cut favorite for the Baltimore Orioles, and that was John Means. John Means, thrower of the no-hitter. John Means, the player that will ever be linked in history with Eric the Prophet. But he's not who I'm picking. Wow. I'm picking Cedric wow, Mullins. Wow, this guy. Cedric Cedric Mullins has quietly put together not only the best season of any Orioles player, but the best season of any outfielder in the American League. And no one's talking about him outside of Baltimore. He's hitting above 300. He's playing good defense in center field. He is, I believe, at the top or maybe in second place of the AL Hits leaderboard. He has the most multi-home run games of anybody in baseball with four. So he's also providing the power. He's providing the speed, has over 10 stolen bases already. And he's just being a complete player. And if this guy was doing this for the Yankees or for the White Sox or for the Angels or for someone not named the Baltimore Orioles, he would be getting a lot of uh, publicity to be a starter for the American League. He's not but he is still the most deserving all-star in my mind. Gentlemen, anything you want to say before you give your all-star picks? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say I'm a big Cedric Mullins fan, so I do appreciate that. Also, if you're going to, you know, devalue John Means at all, tell the Orioles front office to give John Mazalak, the general manager of the Cardinals, a call. We could definitely use him right now in our rotation, and I like John Means a lot. Um, 
And also, I, the only thing I really questioned about your picks, John, I, I don't know that I agree with you on Rafael Devers, and I'll get to that when I make my picks for the central teams. But, um, yeah. So, I, I think, so you don't agree with me because you think Bogarts is the better pick or because you think there are better what? third basemen? See, that's where it gets a little sticky. I, I think that if you're picking between Bogarts or Devers, I would put Devers on the team. So, yeah, he's probably the most deserving Red Sox. But when you look at the rest of the league, I don't necessarily agree that he's even the best third baseman in the league and that he should get the nod over Oh, Bogarts. no, and, but that's the thing. That My whole methodology was, like, who is the most deserving player on this team, not factoring in anything else, just factoring on their play. And that's how I Completely understandable. Devers. Completely understandable. Then I, I really don't have any, you know, disagreement with you on most of your picks. Eric, what did you think about John? No, I mean, I like this list. I will admit I'm still shocked over Jacob DeGrom, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get over that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's that, 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 one may have, that one may have taken me the most time to, to come to a, to a pick on. I'm not feeling really, really sweated. Just as an update. Really sweated that yeah, one Just out. as an update, I'm not feeling great about our wager of the week last episode. <laughs> But uh, hey, who knows? Maybe he. Well, this is this is the thing, right? He's gotten hurt, Jacob Degrom. So for those who don't remember, on the last episode, Brendan and I wagered one drink for whether or not Jacob Degrom would best Clayton Kershaw's MVP season ERA of one point seven seven. I said he would. Brendan said he wouldn't. Brendan's main concern was whether or not he would stay at his peak health. The whole season. He has not since then. He's picked up two, I think, two separate injuries since then. And yet his ERA has gone down. Yeah, that's the main concern that I have is that he's still performing despite that. So we'll see what happens. But if you guys don't have any more objections or comments on John's picks, I'm happy to get into my central picks. Yeah, let's let's get this show on the road. Go ahead, Brian. All right, boys and girls. Um, I similarly to John, I actually thought the central divisions were really straightforward with the exception of a couple. Uh, in talking to John before the episode, John seemed to disagree about the central division. So I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about my picks, but we'll run through them. I'll start with the American League. I'll switch it up a little bit. Uh, for the White Sox, um, I really wanted to go with Lance Lynn, not because I thought I was right, but because it would be funny. In the end, I couldn't do it. It's Carlos Rodon. I don't think there was any argument there. This is a guy that they didn't even know if he was going to be in the rotation coming into the season. And now he's leading the the AL and ERA. He has 105 Ks. And opponents are only hitting 163 against him. He's far and away one of the best starters in the first half of the season in the American League. And he certainly deserves an all-star nod from the White Sox. For the Indians, John, this is why I said Devers probably shouldn't be the third baseman. I went with Jose Ramirez, who's only two home runs behind Devers. But he only had, I mean, excuse me, but uh, Ramirez has 40 fewer strikeouts than Rafael Devers does. So I think when you look at their bodies of work, yes, Devers does have two more home runs, but I think Jose Ramirez has had the better overall season thus far. So I went with Jose Ramirez because he's obviously far and away the best hitter on the Indians. And while Shane Bieber's injured right now, I honestly don't think that he's even more deserving than Jose Ramirez anyway. So for me, it's their third baseman. Kansas City. Uh, this one, I would argue, is probably the easiest choice of all the teams. Um, maybe not, but uh, I, there's really... I mean, Jacob DeGrom. Okay, but, yeah, you fair, know. fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But uh, there's really not anybody in Kansas City that deserves to be an all-star other than their catcher, Salvador Perez. I mean, 
the veterans had a great season. He has 18 home runs, and honestly, in, this, in the AL, there's not really anybody close to him at catcher that deserves to start the All-Star game, so I think he deserves the lion's share of the votes at catcher, and there's nobody else on Kansas City's roster that's kind of pushing him there. I, I did want to make an argument for Danny Duffy, but he's been injured for way too long. He's missed way too many starts, but for me, it's Salvador Perez. And up in Minnesota, um, they've had some struggles with their pitching rotation. They've lost a lot of close games, but yet Jose, Barrio, Jose Barrios is 7-2 and two, quietly. He has a 3.56 ERA, and he's got 87 strikeouts. This guy's still their ace of the rotation. He's had a decent year. I mean, his ERA is a little higher than he would probably like, but hey, he's 7-2 and two on a team that's 14 games back of the division, I think, right now. So he's certainly deserving of an all-star nod, I think. And, and I don't think anybody's going to make an argument that that Twins offense that everybody had such high hopes for is deserving to send somebody to the all-star game this season, given that they're, they've performed so poorly this year. So Jose Barrios, for me, should be an all-star. And then lastly, to round out the AL, I've got the Detroit Tiger was an interesting pick. I think you guys might disagree with me, but that's okay. I'll make his case. I want to go with Akil Badu who's an outfielder for them, and he's put up 1.4 war in 55 games for them. He's a speedster. He's got some decent pop. He has five home runs, and I think he leads the league in triples with four. But he's he's been a big cog in this Detroit lineup that obviously isn't great, but he kind of just seems to put it together most games and keep their lineup rolling a little bit and give them a chance to win games. So this is a guy I really like going forward for them, and uh, I think he deserves the all-star nod, honestly, this season. So, gentlemen, what do you think about the AL picks before I move on to the NL? So, I just want to point out two things. I would not have picked Akil Badu. I would have picked Casey Mize, the pitcher for the Tigers, who is their future, and I think would have been a, could have been a similar situation to where a couple years ago John Means was the Orioles' lone all-star representative and no one really knew who he was. I think he, people know who Casey Mize is because he's the former number one overall pick. Um, so I would have gone with him, especially since they have a couple of other good pitchers who are both hurt. But really what I want to point out is I can't argue against Berrios because the real most deserving all-star for the Twins has been hurt too long. And that's Byron Buxton, who I think had he been healthy would have been a clear and obvious choice and is probably the uh, you know, the number one pick on the all injured all stars team, uh, in terms of what he was doing before he got hurt. But I just want to give a shout out to Buxton because he has really played well when he's been on the field, but he just hasn't been on the field enough. Yeah, that's really important to note, John. That's a good point. I didn't mention that, but yeah, Byron Buxton, by far and away, uh, he's the best twin for me, uh, and he would be an all star if he were healthy. Unfortunately, he's not, and he hasn't been long enough to be an all star in my mind. And yes, Casey Mize was my number two for the Tigers, but I ended up going with Akil Badu. So it was pretty close in my head, but yeah, I, I did like Akil Badu. Okay. So I will jump into the NL Central now and I'll kind of speed this up a little bit, but I have for the Brewers, Josh Hader. I, I mean, I, I can't stand this guy as a Cardinal fan, honestly, but he's got 50 strikeouts and less than 30 innings. I mean, what do you want? He's got a 2.1 war. He has 18 saves. This guy's lights out and I don't see him slowing down anytime soon, unfortunately. So He's an all-star for sure. He'll probably, I don't know, make three all-star hitters look ridiculous and then go sit down and flop his hair around and look like an idiot. But, hey, the guy's good at baseball. What are you going to do? Chicago Cubs. This one did hurt a little bit, but I'm going with Chris Bryant. He is the best third baseman in the National League this year. 
Um, it does really hurt to say that. I think Nolan Arenado is having an all-star worthy season. However, Chris Bryant has scored 43 runs. He's got 40 RBIs. He's had 14 home runs, and he's been the only hitter that has been consistent for the Chicago Cubs all season long when they were slumping early in the season and now that they've resurged and they're leading the division. This guy's been the catalyst for sure. In Cincinnati, um, it was pretty close. It was between Castellanos and Jesse Winker for me. Uh, but I ended up going with Jesse Winker. And I don't know that you guys are going to agree with that, but this guy, uh, he's officially hit superstardom, and I think we're going to see that for uh, the years to come. He's, he's got an OPS over 1,000. He's third in home runs amongst NL outfielders, and he's got an average of 333, which is insane in today's day and age. And he's one of the few guys, in my mind, that has all of that pop and all that power and hits the gaps that doesn't really strike out that much. So I think he's definitely deserving, and he might even be one of the top outfielders, I would imagine, in the all-star voting, if this were completely by stats and not necessarily a popularity vote. But I think Jesse Winker's a name that will stick around for a long time, and so I think he deserves to be an all-star. Now for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, this was actually harder than I imagined it would be. I figured I would go with Arenado or Goldschmidt or obviously Flaherty if he were healthy, but I ended up landing on somebody that's kind of under the radar still, and that's Tyler O'Neill. He actually leads the Cardinals in home runs, and he has 15 of them after he missed three-plus weeks for the Cardinals. And, I mean, he's just hit the crap out of the ball since he came back from the injured list, and he's only five home runs back of Acuna Jr., and he's, only pl- and he's played 13 fewer games than him. So... We'll see if he can keep that up in the second half of the season, but I think he's the most deserving Cardinal right now. So I'm going to go with O'Neill. And lastly, out in Pittsburgh, it's kind of a two-man race again. you got Brian Reynolds. you got Adam Frazier. I went with Adam Frazier. He leads the NL second baseman in hits, average doubles, and OPS. So I think he should be the NL second baseman to start uh, the All-Star game this year, and that'll do it for me for the Central. Any, any comments before we go on to Eric here with the West Divisions? So I want to hear your thought process on – Hater over Woodruff because I think those are the two most deserving players from the Brewers. And and I want to hear your thought process given that Woodruff obviously has a bigger impact in terms of a innings pitch standpoint uh, on the Milwaukee success. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of just who's been more dominant at their role. And while Woodruff has been lights out all season long and is no doubt their ace and been uh, that guy that gets the ball every fifth day and just shuts it down, they always, he always gives the Brewers a chance to win. I think he has kind of slowed down in the last few weeks from his super hot start. Uh, I think he took an L against Colorado recently, and I know he lost to the Royals in May. Um, but... For me, it's just the fact that Hader's been lights out every single time he's come in. Woodruff, yeah, he's probably deserve, deserving of an all-star nod, but I think Hader's done his job better than Brandon Woodruff has done his job. Although Woodruff's impact is more often felt as a starter, I think Hader is obviously the most deserving uh, for closers in the National League, so he should probably get the nod over Woodruff. No, it makes sense. Makes sense. And then I was, you know, I, I love the Jesse Winker love just because I think he's a really, like you said, a really underappreciated star. He's kind of a weird, perfect combination of the red stars of yesteryear in Vado and Bruce, in that he hits for the power that we saw from Bruce, but he has sort of the not as not because Joey Vado is an is an on base god, and I don't think he has quite reached that status. But he also um, 
definitely is a, a better contact hitter, better hitter for average than Jay Bruce ever was. Yeah, and I just want to quickly point out before we move on to Eric's uh, West picks, but I think Jesse Winker's a stall, an all-star for years to come. I think he's he's going to start getting the Christian Yelich treatment in this NL Central Division and the NL as a whole. I think he's going to get a lot of balls uh, thrown to him and not as many strikes, so he won't have as much opportunity to do so much damage, but... We'll see if he can resist swinging at a bunch of curveballs in the dirt and getting frustrated with not getting pitches to hit as much as Yelich did last season and so far this year. So I do think that Winker is, an all, is a superstar for years to come and uh, certainly exciting if you're a Cincinnati fan. All right, Eric, you've been really quiet through these first two selections, so I want you to bring the heat here with the uh, West Division. All right, let's see if I can stir up any controversy and see if you guys have any thoughts on these picks here. So I'm going to go in reverse standings in each division. So I'll start with the AL West uh, with the Rangers, who I have selected Adolis Garcia, who is having himself a phenomenal first full year in the big leagues with 18 home runs, 50 RBIs, which was tied for ninth in the league, a 272 batting average, and an 833 OPS. Uh, but I definitely think he's been a solid hitter for the Rangers lineup so far. Uh, moving to the Mariners, who I struggled a little bit because there weren't particularly any uh, hitters that stood out or any relief pitchers that stood out. So I picked their best pitcher from my perspective, which is Yusei Kikuchi, who has 10 quality starts in 13 uh, games started, uh, which is tied for 11th in the league. He's a solid 3.46 ERA. Uh, 1.04 whip and uh, nine strikeouts per nine. So he's been definitely pitching well enough in uh, the Mariners and holding them down in, in my perspective to be the most deserving player, I guess, on their roster to make uh, an all-star. Uh, moving up to the Angels, I think this one's a little more obvious, particularly with Mike Trout being injured, and it's clearly Shohei Otani, who... Uh, is doing well both as a hitter and as a pitcher. So as a hitter, he has 23 home runs, 10 stolen bases, uh, 996 OPS, and as a pitcher, he's a 2.7 uh, oh, ERA, 1.16 WHIP, and 12.3 strikeouts per nine. So he's he's doing phenomenal uh, both on the mound and at the plate. Moving up to the A's, uh, I think Matt Olson is very clearly the best hitter on their roster, batting 303, uh, 995 OPS, 20 home runs, which is tied for fourth in the league. So he's been a phenomenal hitter for the A's uh, throughout these past couple of years and this year as well. Uh, for the Astros, who have been on fire of late and have been the, uh, I guess, best hitting team uh, most recently, leading the league and run scored at the moment. So they have a roster full of quality hitters um, to choose from. Uh, so I have to go with Carlos Correa, who's been uh, hitting the best that he's had in the past four years. He has not particularly done well in the past three years, but this year he's a 295 average. He has a 913 OPS and 14 home runs. I think of the people I could have picked from, he's the most balanced in all of these fronts. So I think he is worthy of an all-star nod here. All right, moving to the NL side, and I'll let you guys uh, speak up if you guys have any thoughts later on. Um, I'm going to start with the Diamondbacks, who were also a tricky team to pick because, as we stated earlier, they don't particularly do well in a lot of areas. So I think the clear one is Eduardo Escobar, 
uh, playing third base for the Diamondbacks. He has 15 home runs and 45 RBIs. Clearly the standout on their roster um, if you were to just look through their counting stats. Moving on to the Rockies. So I had to look at Trevor's story, but he doesn't particularly match up, to my opinion, to Ryan McMahon this year playing second base, who has a 256 average, an 816 OPS, but he has 16 home runs and 44 RBIs. And if you were to compare that to Trevor's story, I think he's very clearly the best hitter um, Ryan is on the Rockies so far. Uh, for the Padres, I think it's clearly Fernando Tatis playing shortstop for them. He has 22 home runs, 50 RBIs. Uh, 14 stolen bases, a 1.033 OPS, so he's definitely been hitting well for them. Um, although, if you're to keep an eye on his fielding percentage, I still don't think he's doing that well, quite honestly. Uh, for the Dodgers, it was tricky for me because I think a lot of the Dodgers, not necessarily that they, uh, I mean, there are a lot of Dodgers, I think, that are deserving, but I think it was tricky to pick them because they're all pretty similar from my perspective. So I ended up giving a shout out to Kenley Jansen. Um, I think, uh, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's our first relief pitcher or, or closer that we've selected so far. Um, and he has 18 saves this year, uh, which I believe is good f uh, for fourth or fifth in the league at the moment. His opponent batting average is .098, meaning he's only given up nine hits in 29.2 innings. So he's definitely not... Uh, letting people hit the ball at the moment when he's coming in. So he's been, um, from my perspective, been a surprising uh, pitcher out of a closer, and it's, it's definitely reassuring to have him come out and dominate uh, with a 1.52 ERA as well. And finally, Giants, who unfortunately are still leading the division, which is surprising to me and I'm sure surprising the most. I have to give this one to Buster Posey, who leads his team and hits at the catcher position. Um, meaning that he doesn't even play every day, but he's still leading his team in hits. So I think it's it's still amazing. He's uh, he's batting 328, 973 OPS, and has 12 home runs. And with that, I think they close it out our AL West and NL West picks. You guys have any thoughts of my picks here? Yeah. So Eric, I I, I liked all of your picks. I could see the logic behind all of your picks up until the end, where. Of all the picks that we made amongst all the teams, this is the only one that I think is wrong. Like, it is it is inarguably wrong. Big props to Buster Posey. He should be an all-star. He is not the most deserving all-star or player on the San Francisco Giants. That is Kevin Gosman. I don't think there is an argument around that. Kevin Gosman leads the major leagues among qualified pitchers, with a 1.51 ERA. He has 103 strikeouts in 82 and a third inning, 89 and two-thirds innings, excuse me, and is just going out there and dominating everybody he faces. If he, if not for Jacob deGrom, this guy would be your NL Cy Young favorite. To, so to say that he is not the most deserving all-star player on his own team, to me, is just wrong. Yeah, actually, I really agree with that, John. I was going to say Kevin Gosman's the only one I would call out instead of somebody that you picked, Eric. The Dodgers, obviously, that is a tough one. There are a couple guys I think you could go with. Kenley Jansen, also important to note, he's not the first closer we picked. I had Josh Hader. But, yeah, I think Kenley Jansen is definitely deserving. And while I agree Buster Posey should be an all-star, I do side with John here. I think Kevin Gossman is probably more deserving than Buster Posey. I did like all the rest of your picks, and then, though, John, or Eric. And then, not to 
be only critical. No, no, this is, I no. I think that really... I think that's a fair criticism. It's definitely an oversight by me. But uh, keep going. Um, I wanted to hear your thought, similar to how I asked Brendan on the Hater versus Woodrift. I wanted to hear your thought on Correa versus Yuli Goriel, because I did this exercise for all 30 teams just so I could, you know, be like, okay, this is where I would have gone and this is where my co-host went. And the only, you know, disagreement that I had outside of Gosman was Guriel over Correa. I'm interested to see why you went with Correa over Guriel. No, I really just think, I mean, what's the fact that Guriel, uh, I mean, he leads his team in RBIs, right? Yeah, so, and he's definitely a quality hitter. And batting and, and average. And batting average. Uh, but I do think that uh, Correa just overall has, I mean, he also has more home runs, right? He has, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess they have the same amount of second bases, so, and, but he has a slight advantage in OPS. So I, I, I don't know. I think overall, I just think he was more balanced as a pick for, um, for the Astros uh, compared to Yuli. I mean, I, I think Yuli is definitely deserving, but I still think that Carlos is definitely the one that's holding the top of the lineup here. And maybe I was just thinking with a little bit of sentiment here because uh, Yuli Goriel never been an all-star and for him to become, and he probably still will be, um, for him to become a first-time all-star at the age of 37, you guys got to remember this is a guy who came over from uh, Cuba when he was already in his 30s. So even though he doesn't seem like he should be 37, he is in fact 37. So maybe I was just going with a little bit of sentiment there to see a first-time All-Star from a guy who is 37 years old would be pretty cool. But I, I just, again, wanted to sort of hear your thoughts No, there. it's fair. That's yeah. fair. I think it's a good question. I think, but if you just compare the two, I think they're pretty similar. So I think it, it's honestly a coin toss, and I would still give it to Carlos Correa here. I was going to say, for my end, it's it's honestly, they're both deserving. I, I don't really see anything that really separates one from the other as far as most deserving. So I don't have any issue with Carlos Correa or Yuli Gurriel as, as the pick, so... Yeah, both good points, boys. All right, so that rounds out our discussion of the All-Star teams. We can uh, check back next week when I believe the – or in the next recording, two weeks from now, when I believe the All-Star rosters will be out to maybe see how we did. And without further ado, your favorite segment, my favorite segment, it's Who's That Man? Brendan, take us away. Okay, boys and girls, I have some good ones for you here today, so I'm curious to see who comes out on top. We got Eric coming off a win last week against me, and John looking to uh, make the standings a little closer at the top. So um, I'm about to say I'm coming off a loss to to me, yeah, to Eric, I believe, or to you, yeah, yeah. In the, in the last time I out, yeah. So, so the standings, I'm, I'm looking for some revenge. Yeah, the standings are kind of close, uh, closer than I would like, but. We'll see. Um, Eric, I'm, I'm still pulling for you. I think John's far and away the favorite amongst us. But, all right, without further ado, I'll give you, I'll give you guys uh, the first player here for Who's That Man. As always, get your buzzers ready. I'll be watching. And the current season stat for the first player is that this man leads the MLB in shutouts. This man is right-handed. His uniform number is 50, but previously he wore the number 60. John has... Is it Adam Wainwright? John has buzzed in, and yes, it is Adam Wainwright. Oh, my goodness. Much closer than I expect, or much faster than I expected, I should say. 
<laughs> I am the uniform. I am the uniform number king. Really it is, it is a well established fact. That hurts, Eric. I'm sorry. I tried to. I, actually, we talked about this before I got on the call before we started recording. I really tried to pick people that I didn't think the numbers would would kind of give it away, and I thought the fact that he wore 60 in his first season with the Cardinals might throw John off a little bit, but apparently not. <laughs> So how many how many shutouts does Adam Wainwright? Well, that's the that's the, the, that's the catch. He has two. No, excuse me. Ooh, I ooh, I said the wrong thing, John. You're gonna have to correct me there. I, I should have said leads the MLB in complete games. He has two complete games, <laughs> which is tied for the lead. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> okay. Nonetheless, okay. Right. John has our first player. I screwed up. I'm, I'm sure I'll pay for that at some point later. Um, anyway, okay, John's up one nothing. Will we have our first sweep? That's the question. Okay, player number two, current season stat. He leads the MLB in wins with a 3.84 ERA. However, his career, uh, excuse me, however, his FIP this season is a career high at 5.09. This person is. All right, I'm going to buzz. Ooh, ooh John is buzzing buzz already. In. And go on on a limb here. Is this Yusmero Petit? It is not Yusmero Petit. That's one incorrect guess for John this round. All right. Because he was, last time I checked stats, I had Kevin Gaussman with uh, being tied for league wins, and Petit was the guy who was tied with him last week. So I guess he hasn't kept that That's up. That's a good guess. Good guess. But nonetheless, it's not him. This pitcher, however, is right-handed. I'm going to go through the uniform number quickly so Eric has a chance here. His number is 28. He was drafted in the eighth round of the 2011 draft from Dartmouth. John has buzzed in once is again. It, is it Kyle Hendricks? It is Kyle Hendricks. We have our first sweep, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. No shot. Oh, no, Eric. John. Oh, you got John. Sweet. You got John this week. Oh, man. <laughs> I tried. I, I, it's the Dartmouth oh, thing. True, that was, like, they, I was they, worried about that. I, I almost didn't say it because I didn't want to give it away. But I figured, of all people, John would know that Kyle Hendricks is from Dartmouth. It honestly didn't yeah. come to me fast enough. That, I knew well, he was I feel from like, Dartmouth before, but I was like, I, I knew, like, I was trying to think of myself. I know a player from Dartmouth. I honestly didn't remember who it was. Oh no. Well, I feel like they every time Kyle Hendricks pitches. Because he throws like 88 miles an hour as his max velocity, they have to talk about like, oh, he's so cerebral in how he pitches, and he went to Dartmouth. Yep, yep. And that's not that's not a shot at Kyle Hendricks, even though I'm sure Brendan would love it if it was. Right. No, if anything, I, I mean, but anything, I feel like probably it, taken I feel like it's sort of like, it, yeah, I feel like it's an obligatory mention during any Kyle Hendricks start, especially if he's pitching well. I'll take, but yeah, all right. First sweep. I'm. Pumped. I'll take responsibility for that one, Eric. I, I might have given two no, softballs no, no, to no. John by accident there, but uh, yeah, we have our first sweep. John, I, I'm not entirely. I'm not entirely sure what John's record is now. Are you two and one? I'm two and one. Two and one. That's two right. and one. And I believe I'm also two and one, and that makes Eric one and three. I yeah, think so. Right. We'll have to double check all that, and we're going to start posting uh, the records and updates I'm say, on social media. So be sure to check that out, and we'll make sure to keep the standings. Keep, keep running. your eyes peeled on social media for the official who's that man standing. Yeah, and just as an update for all the listeners out there, we have decided on a forfeit. So it turns out that we're going to have the last place person uh, that comes in last for who's that man at the end of the season. 
Make a donation to a team of the winner's choice. So whoever comes in first place, the winner's choice uh, charity for any MLB team that they choose. So obviously if I come in last, I'm sure the boys will make me donate to the Cubs. But maybe if John wins, he'll choose the Orioles or something to, to benefit his own team's charity. And in addition to that, we have uh, something else a little special that I'll keep a secret for now. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to be the loser. I'll, I'll just put it that way. And I, got, and I feel I feel much better about <laughs> my chances of not being the loser now with the first sweep. I like it. Um, all right, who was just, just – uh, who was the last player? Because we didn't get to Oh, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, the last player I, – I, I won't go through the stats, obviously, but the last player I was going to give you guys was Randy Arrazareno. What was the – what was the current season the stat? current season stat is that he is fifth in strikeouts in the MLB. I love it. <laughs> you just really wanted to, uh, yeah, to, I had to, to make yourself feel better take, about the Randy well, Rosarena trade. It was twofold. I had to take an opportunity to take a shot at Randy Rosarena because I'm still a little bit salty. But also, I, I wanted to give another strikeout stat to begin with because, you know, you boys wouldn't know when I said that if that was from a pitching standpoint or from a hitting standpoint, so... Brendan always the thinker, always the str- the strategizer when it comes to who's that man. But he's also the closer for us here at Line em Up Podcast. And we will go now to our closing segment, and that is the series of the weekend. Thanks for passing it along, John. I always like to be called the closer. I never got to play that role, actually, when I played. So that's, uh, that's definitely a role that I'm envious of. But we had Yankees-Red Sox on the table uh, for this weekend, and we elected to choose a different series, which might be controversial amongst the listeners. Obviously, Yankees-Red Sox is always entertaining, but, hey, we've got two really hot teams out in the West that nobody saw coming, and we've got the A's visiting the Giants this weekend. We have some decent pitching matchups. We're actually getting kind of the back end of the rotation for both of these teams, but Friday we've got a good matchup between Sean Benaya and Johnny Cueto. Saturday we've got the right-hander, Frankie Montas versus lefty Alex Wood. And Sunday, we've got a battle of the lefties in San Francisco. Cole Irvin up against Sammy Long. Uh, Just a few background trends. Both of these teams are near the top of their division in the Giants' case. They're actually still leading that NL West, and they've been real hot as of late. The Giants are 8-2 overall in their last 10, and the A's are 14-5 in June. Uh, Side note, the last 10 games for the A's, eight of them have gone over the total, so... Keep an eye out on that. I don't know that that will carry over to next to this series. However, uh, we will discuss a little bit of run scoring amongst these power-hitting teams and just uh, a little recent history between these two teams. In 2020, the A's were 5-1 and one against the Giants, including a sweep in San Francisco last year. And they actually outscored San Francisco 42-16 to 16 in those five wins. They did lose that sixth game. 14-2, to two, I believe, was the final score. So... The Giants got their revenge in one game, but the A's have uh, mostly had their way with the Giants in uh, the last year or so. So we'll see if that continues. And as I mentioned, these two teams score a lot of runs because they're both toward the top of the list in the MLB in home runs. And the Giants, in their case, actually lead the MLB with 109, and the A's are tied for seventh with 96 round trippers themselves. So... We'll see if these lefty starters, we've got four out of six lefties this series, if they'll uh, keep these teams at bay. But boys and girls, uh, John and Eric, I would love to hear your thoughts on this series just as a preview before we get into some of the more specifics, such as the heart of the lineup we're going to do and the stop streak, of course. So to me, this sets up as a matchup of who's a pretender, who's a contender. And 
they both could be contenders. They both could be pretenders, right? Like they're in different leagues. So it's not like one has to be better than the other in that sense. But I think these are both teams that none of us expected to perform as well as they have when we were doing our predictions at the beginning of the season. And they're both teams that for a while we've said, oh, no, they're going to fall off. They're going to fall off. They're going to fall off. They haven't fallen off. But maybe this is the weekend where one of them starts to fall off. And if if I had to put my money on which team was for real and which team is going to start trending in the wrong direction, I would say that I think the Giants are more for real and that the A's, even though they have been very impressive to begin this season, might start to trend in the opposite direction as some of their competition in the AL West gets healthy, as the Astros continue to play really well, and we might start to see that drop off here with this series. Interesting. Okay, Eric, what are your thoughts? No, I, I, I mean, I'm clearly excited for this series with both teams uh, doing particularly well in their divisions. I think surprisingly well compared to how we projected them at the beginning of the year. So it's definitely nice to highlight this during one of our recordings. I think I will go the opposite direction, and I think the A's will actually pull this series out uh, and and beat the Giants at the Giants' home park here. I think they'll win their Friday game, lose their Saturday game, and win their Sunday game. Um and steal a game out from uh, from the Giants here. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I actually really like the juxtaposition that you put there, John, of pretender versus contender. I think that's a great way to describe this series. Honestly, I still think that these teams are both pretenders, and, and you know, they're kind of just hanging around. But, hey, it's, it's almost July, folks. It's almost July, and these teams are still out there in the division. And I don't think anybody had the Giants anywhere remotely close to the Dodgers and Padres uh, come the All-Star break. And it looks like they're going to be in the mix for sure. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens this weekend for sure. Uh, I do believe that the A's win the series in my eyes. I think the A's take two of three. Similar to Eric, I think they get the win on Friday. I'll give them the win on Sunday as well. Uh, I don't think they beat Alex Wood, though, on Saturday. I think Alex Wood probably quiets their bets just a little bit, if not just enough for the Giants to put up some runs against Frankie Montas in that bullpen. But we'll see what happens. And we're actually going to move the heart of the lineup segment to the series of the weekend and try that out this week. So um, I'll start with Eric. So I'm looking for a guy that you think from the fantasy aspect will have an above average performance over the weekend. And obviously, since we're doing this in the series of the weekend segment, I'm looking for somebody that plays for one of these two teams, the Athletics or the Giants. So, Eric, who in your eyes thinks who do you, who do you think in your eyes has a good uh, fantasy weekend from the standpoint that somebody out there might not imagine they outperform expectations? Yeah, so I went with a pitcher this time around, particularly with how these teams are playing. I think some people might be wary of of starting against a top team. I think some uh, fantasy owners might be more likely to start their pitchers against. Uh, lesser teams um, or obviously start their aces but I think I will roll with Sean Mania, which we've already talked about and since I have suggested that the A's will win their game on Friday I will say that Sean Mania has given up has not given up more than two runs in his past six starts so it might already be obvious to people that he's been uh, holding on the fort definitely for the A's so I'm projecting that Sean 
will give up less than two earned runs or less against the Giants as well. I'll continue that. I like it. Okay, so that's an important note. I forgot to mention, we are going to be making a, a prediction to go along with our heart of the lineup player. And as, as, you, just got, as you guys just heard, Eric is going with Sean Manaya. Two in runs or fewer against the Giants in his start on Friday. I'll pass that along to John. John, who's your heart of the lineup this week? So my one might not be super conventional, given that there is a lot of left-handed pitching going on this weekend. But I went with Brandon Belt. And the reason I went with Brandon Belt is not only is he not necessarily the, been the heart of the Giants lineup this year, that has more often been Buster Posey and, to a lesser extent, uh, Brendan Crawford. But Brandon Belt hits 321 at home. So he's a much better player in San Francisco than he is on the road, where I believe overall he's hitting like 250-something. But he's hitting 321 at Oracle. And what is even more is that he's hitting 429 against lefties at Oriole, at Oracle Park in San Francisco. So you would think, oh, Brandon Belt, a left-handed hitter, he probably struggles against lefties. Not the case, especially at home. And so he is the heart of my lineup. As for my prediction, I think two out of the three games, at least, you'll have multi-hit efforts out of Brandon Belt. That's big. That's big from John there, and that would be big from Brandon Belt. That's interesting, John. I wouldn't guess that Brandon Belt's that good against lefties, but I guess... Uh, you know, interestingly enough, he is. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, it is important to note that, as I said already, four of the six starters in this series will be left-handed. And both of these teams actually are a little bit above average themselves against lefties, as far as starters are concerned anyway. Um, so far in 2021, the Giants are 13-8 and eight against left-handed starters with uh, 4.67 runs per game. And the A's themselves, I've actually had 29 games against lefties starters already this season, and they're 19-10 averaging 4.72 runs per game. And both of those are actually just slightly above what they average against righties. So it's not super different for both teams compared to lefties. They actually hit both righties and lefties pretty well, which makes sense because they're both toward the top of most offensive categories as a team. But nonetheless, important to note, as we have uh, four lefties this series, kind of an anomaly, I would say. And I do like the Brandon Belt pick. Uh, I, I really wanted to go with a pitcher also, but I couldn't find one that I loved. I do like Sean Manaya from Eric's point of view. I don't necessarily know that he has the best start, although he's been hot recently. I, it could go either way in my head. Somebody who's been really hot recently that I think continues to carry it into this weekend, though, is Wilmer Flores. Um, that's somebody that's probably under the radar in fantasy right now. And he's, uh, he's starting to heat up. He's six for his last nine. I know that's a pretty small sample size. But he has three home runs in those, in those uh, nine at-bats. And in his last seven days, he's nine of 17 with four home runs and only one strikeout. And I think the big key for me is that he doesn't strike out much. And the fact that he's facing these hitters, or excuse me, these pitchers that like to get over their fastballs early and get ahead in the count and then attack hitters that way, I think he's going to be ready to see those early pitches and put the ball in play. And I think that's going to benefit him, especially uh, against the back end of this rotation for the A's. So I do like Wilmer Flores. And just so everybody knows, as we mentioned, he is – hitting 297 against left-handers. So it's not terrible, but that is above average for him. So I think he has a pretty good weekend. I'm going to go with kind of a bold pick here. I'm going to say he has three extra base hits at least over the course of this weekend series, including at least one home run. And I'm... I'm wow, gonna, I like it. pretty bold. Spicy. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit out on a limb, but I, I, I think he just kind of continues his hot streak. He's done a good job filling in for Evan Longoria while he's been hurt. And he'll probably get some good at-bats in this weekend, and I think it'll pay off for him. 
Um, okay, so that'll do it for us from the heart of the lineup little portion of our series of the weekend. And we'll move into the final part of our podcast, as always, the Stop the Streak. Boys and girls, we do have kind of a Stop the Streak curse going on for uh, lineup up here. But I'm really, really hoping that this one uh, works out because I like this one a lot. Uh, for whatever reason, some of our Stop the Streaks have just, uh, you know, been interfered with by weather or injury and it's been kind of hard to track whether we've done a good job predicting these things or not because some of them you know we haven't been able to tell so this time i'm going to focus on johnny cueto one of my most hated players in cardinals history for for my fandom obviously because of the reds cardinals brawl back in i think 2010 2011 i, I don't know something something yeah, around there. right right i think it's 2011 but i i would have to double check that yeah as well. obviously i'm not a fan but Hey, this one's fun. We'll say Johnny Cueto, who starts Friday against the A's. And he currently, oh, excuse me, the A's, obviously, as I already mentioned, currently sits seventh in MLB with 96 home runs. And important to note that the Giants have 109 in their first. Uh, Johnny Cueto has allowed two home runs in each of his last three starts in, in uh, June, which is kind of an anomaly for him. He's only allowed eight home runs all season, but six of them have come in the last three starts. So for the stop the streak this week, Will the A's take Cueto deep twice on Friday in San Francisco, or will Cueto and the Giants stop the streak? John, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think? So I think this Friday matchup, I sort of hinted at it with my Brandon Belt heart of the lineup pick. I think you'd look at it and say, oh, this is going to be a more low-scoring affair. I say no. I say, yes, Johnny Cueto gets taken deep twice, but the Giants win. All right, interesting. So you've got Johnny Cueto giving up two home runs, but still the Giants coming out with a win. So well, we'll Giants see. Won. Because I think, I, think, I, think that, I think the Giants are going to also hit Manaya, Manaya really well. Okay, so interesting. So that's sort of my logic there. Okay, good pick. I like it. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Stop the streak, or you think uh, the A's take him deep twice? Uh, this is definitely a... Harder brain pick, I think here. I think uh, if you're, in my opinion, if you're using your brain, I think you'd hedge and just say, I, I don't think you're gonna be able to two home runs again. But I think I'm gonna actually side with John and say they will continue it with it. I think the A's have a lot of quality hitters, and I think um, in favor of Manaya pitching particularly well and getting his win, uh, I, I think that the A's will take the Cueto deep um, twice. Wow. I, I'm going to be honest. I really didn't think that I was going to have both of you guys select the A's to continue this streak. But, yeah, interestingly enough, we're going to have three for three on stop, on the A's continuing the streak this week. I, I, I mean, I actually really believe that the A's want to set the tone against this Giants team that's been really hot lately. And I think they're going to come in ready to hit the ball. And I'm actually going to go even farther than saying they take them deep twice. I'm going to say that they get him out of the game before the fifth inning. I'm going to think Johnny Cueto gets hit around a lot. And these ace hitters really try to set the tone for the series and take that game on Friday by uh, knocking Cueto around. Also, John, I do kind of agree with you. I think the Giants will hit Sean Manaya pretty well as well. But I, I do have the A's coming out on top nonetheless. And I think Cueto has his worst start of the season by far. So hopefully we are... We're, we're all saying we're going to continue the streak, but hopefully we stop the streak of the stop the streak curse. Uh, and and hopefully we actually get to see this one play out. Excellent. As point. for our episode, we are all we are all played out 
uh, in terms of this episode. But if you have enjoyed what you've heard here, go back. If you haven't listened to all our previous episodes, they're just as good as this one. Maybe some even better. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, go back, give us a listen. Give us a follow on social media where we are at Line em Up Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We are trying to grow our audiences there. And uh, as always, gentlemen, a pleasure recording this latest episode with you. So for John, thank you, Brendan. Thanks, everybody. Looking forward to uh, seeing how the All-Star rosters shake out. And always, as always, big yeah, thanks, thanks to Thanks for Aaron. tuning in, everyone. Appreciate it. See you all in the next episode. Thank you.